Moving Iron Podcast is proud to be part of the Global Ag Network. The network is live, so check out globalagnetwork.com for more details and updates. Now on to the show. Moving Iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving Iron time and time again. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast number 144. Today my guest is Clay Hall and Clay Hall is the corporate sales manager for Blanchard Equipment. And I wanted to get Clay on and talk to him a little bit about the opposite side of the spectrum that we've been seeing. Uh, we have all this stuff in the news with the, with the flooding and the and the nonstop rains in the in the central part of the Midwest and, and, and Clay's fighting a different battle out there. It's been hot and dry for pretty much the same amount of time it's been wet and cold here in the Midwest. So Clay, welcome to the show. Hey, good morning, uh, Casey. Glad to glad to be on with you this morning. I appreciate that. So, before we get started, Clay, why don't you give a little background on yourself and and how you uh, kind of how your careers ended up to where you're at today? Okay, sounds good. Um, been in the John Deere dealership business for 19 years. Uh, started uh, over on the parts counter, uh, actually as a as a part time parts employee. Uh, as we've gone through acquisitions over the years, uh, moved into a uh, sales role and then to a store manager role, and then about eight years ago into the corporate sales manager role. Um, and I've been doing that ever since, and uh, I really enjoy that. It's uh, it's no doubt a, a different challenge every day, uh, but but certainly enjoy it and, and look forward to hopefully many more years to come. Right on. Okay, Clay, so let's talk about what you see happening out there right now. So we're like I said, when I started out here, it's been, you know, epic rains and, and coolness throughout the, the, the Midwest, uh, corn belt and soybean belt and, and where, and even down South into the deep South into, uh, Mississippi, Arkansas, Alabama, that area, but you're right on the, on this different weather pattern that we're seeing out there in the Southeast where it's been really hot and really dry. So why don't you talk about that a little bit and how that's affecting what you see happening out there? Okay, sure. Um, I guess I'll give you a little bit of background as far as, as what the geography of our, our dealership locations look like and, and kind of back into your question just a little bit. Okay. Uh, so we so we have 16 locations. Uh, we're evenly split. Uh, eight of those are in Georgia, uh, on the eastern side of Georgia, uh, and then eight of those are in South Carolina. Uh, from a from a crop mix, um, we are we're heavily weighted in cotton, uh, peanuts, soybeans, and corn. Um, most of our planning um, begins, of course, with corn, and then as we move into to cotton and peanuts, that's a that's an early May sort of planning window. Um, and then to answer your question, to make that relevant to your question, um, in our early spring um, and and even into the early summer months. We, we just were extremely dry, Casey. We were, uh, I think, six to seven weeks in a row where we had uh, zero rainfall. And we had about three weeks, three and a half weeks in a row that we were at 100 plus degree temperatures. Um, and that just doesn't, this doesn't bode very well for good planning and, and good, you know, good, good beginning of a, a planning season. Um, so unlike many of my friends uh, in the Midwest where those guys were extremely wet and, and stopped planning for that reason, uh, we were extremely dry and uh, hot and had to stop planting for that reason. So 
after uh, after we went through that spell uh, and finally got some some moisture in the ground, uh, you know, we were we were up and going again and planting. Um, about sixty percent of our uh, acreage is irrigated; um, the other forty is not. So we we lost quite a bit of uh, of corn acreage uh, to to the drought you know, that had already been planted, of course. And it, it's really stunted the growth on our on our cotton and, and peanuts as well. So it, it's definitely had an effect. Uh, I guess we won't know that full effect until we get to harvest and uh, see what some of the yield impact has been. Okay. So what what is the uh, what's kind of the mood of, of the customers that you're working with now? I mean, commodity prices are, are kind of bouncing up a little bit from where they've been. Um, you know, we have these kind of big swings, a lot of volatility in the market right now. But um, it, I guess what's the overall temperature of your customer base? I would say it's a little bit better, a little more favorable uh, than it was this time twelve months ago. The, the movement in corn, you know, 450 corn doesn't doesn't change a lot of the rationale between for what we do um, uh, over in, in Georgia and Carolina because of the you know, the lack of corn acreage compared to what you know what you guys do in, in your side of the world. But um, you know, we probably monitor cotton prices more so than, than anything else. And, you know, we're seeing cotton still in the mid-60s, and we, we really need to see a bump in that before we before we get a lot of optimism, uh, you know, on the Georgia and Carolina side of the world. All right, so cotton was the next thing I want to talk to you about, and I'm glad you brought that up. Um, and that is a huge part of, of any business in, in the southern part of the U.S., um, especially what we've seen over the past you know, five years or so. I mean, you had a stretch there where cotton was was kind of worthless, and and there you couldn't get rid of a cotton picker. Um, and now you've got uh, cotton to the point now where machines are really moving, and you start to see some stuff um, really become a. It's getting to the point now where it is a. Uh, I've talked to guys where they have waiting lists for for people wanting to buy used equipment, and and uh, obviously new equipment's allocated as well, but. Um, we start taking a look at what's going around around the world and some other key growing areas of cotton. You got to have some little bit of excitement there. That the cotton market's going to have maybe a, even if it's just a temporary move, a temporary upward move in, in prices. So I guess talk about what you see happening on the equipment side of the business and and what you see going on and how that's affecting your business. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would say that cotton uh, equipment has been a bright spot for us, um, at least for the last couple of years. Uh, to your point, a lot of that uh, is, you know, is, is is relative to allocation uh, and how that's beginning to to move the the pricing of used equipment in the right direction. Um, strangely enough, you mentioned the, the comment of people having waiting lists. I, I had a a, uh, a neighboring dealer sent me a text this morning uh, asking me if they had any use pickers available that he could get, um, and and we don't. I think we are in the boat with many other dealers where we, you know, we've pre-sold all the trades and we're sitting here, and, and there, there simply is is much more demand than there is supply, and and that's nice. Uh, that's that's the first time we've been in that situation on cotton equipment in a number of years. Uh, I, I think that it's. You know, we'll continue to keep the cotton picker pricing uh, strong um, as, as demand continues to be high. And, and to your point about other growing areas, other growing markets for cotton, um, you know, I would like to think that, that there's some upside potential here in the next two or three years for cotton. And you know, as long as uh, as long as allocation continues to stay in place, uh, demand stays high, 
uh, I think for the most part, we'll be able to to have a, a premium price on used cotton equipment. Yeah, that's a that's a good problem to have. You know, I I kind of there for a while. You know, it, it, cotton it, pickers are one of those things that I don't have a lot of exposure to just because of where I'm where I'm at. You know, when I worked back in Kansas, we had some some stripper cotton down there, and but very few uh, very few machines running around. wasn't a big deal till you got further south of us um, with the with the way that uh, wheat prices were going, a stripper cotton got to be a bigger deal, and we started seeing more more uh, wheat acres getting put into uh, cotton acres uh, back down there. So, did you see? Have you seen a major switch in your crop mix from over the last couple of years into more cotton, or has it stayed pretty much the same the same mix you've seen over the last two years? I would say that we have uh, added a few more cotton acres. We've taken some away from peanuts and put it into cotton um, as, you know, as for, uh, for your listeners that, that don't have any peanuts in their area, that, that is a, uh, a market that's been challenged pretty hard here the last couple of years from a pricing perspective. Um, very weak. And as we've seen, as we've seen that occur, um, cotton has picked up some acres there. And, and I, I really foresee that, uh, you know, less peanuts rebound uh, considerably in the next year or two that we'll, we'll continue to put more and more acreage in the cotton locally um, and, and, and see that area of our business continue to grow. What's driving the, the peanut market to where it's, it's been such a struggle to, uh, to get good pricing? The, the bulk of that, Casey, uh, over the last number of years, the the production of peanuts has been has been pretty strong, uh, and in some okay. cases, much better than what they expected. So, I, I think that there is, uh, I think there's a, a glut of peanuts sitting out there that has got to be consumed before we can get back to to having a reasonable uh, tonnage price. Gotcha, I got you. All right, so export markets always one of those things. I get I get guys all the time from <clears throat> in in you know northern Africa, southern Europe. Uh, in that area where they're where they're growing some cotton, <clears throat> China, India, <clears throat> excuse me, that are always looking for used pickers and and stripper, mostly pickers. And so, with, with this tight supply issue, you have what's the export market look like for used machinery? And is that something that that uh, you've even explored with with the current condition that you're in right now? Yeah, we we really have not looked at that at all over the last couple of years with machinery. Um, demand being as high you know, domestically as it's been and in the population of machines being as low as it's been we, we haven't looked for that at all um to be to be totally honest we again as i mentioned the other dealer this morning and i think many other dealers um could probably sell uh, a number of used machines if they had them uh, in their possession to do that today so um definitely not not been a need um certain in the future as cyclical as the business is it will be in the future but uh short term I, I don't think we'll be looking to export any cotton equipment at all right on okay so the next question i had for you then was with the introduction of the uh the cp picker um here oh what's that been five years ago now i guess maybe a little bit older. yeah um that's right okay so how's that affected the overall you know, support equipment side of your business. We start looking at uh, the number of tractors you needed to run, you know, bell modulars and, and stuff like that. How has that affected the, the sale of, of, uh, of tractors and, and how's that affecting your business? Yeah, very, very good question. Um, I'll be the first one to say that when they, when they first came out with the, 
the Baylor style picker, um, we were very, as a dealership, uh, and, and, and others as well that I spoke with, very uncertain uh, how a, a high dollar machine like that would be accepted into the market. Um, but it, it happened, and it happened much faster uh, than I certainly would have projected. And, and, and to your point, when you think about the number of supporting equipment uh, that's necessary now um, to, to harvest cotton, it is much different looking today than it was uh, you know, back 10 to 15 years ago. So for sure, um, you know, the, the module builder is not necessary anymore. Um, bolt buggies aren't necessary anymore. And when you think about going from a, a production system like that that takes you know, at least two or three tractors and, and those pieces of supporting equipment essentially down now just to one machine and, um, and, and an operator and then a tractor to, to move the bales around once it's once it's finished, if needed, uh, it, it definitely makes a difference. Uh, we you know, in, in years past, we would have customers who would typically buy um, older, high-hour tractors uh, to do some of those functions with, and and that that seems to be kind of eroding, to be honest with you, uh, as as we go through this cotton process. And um, I would say that that sixty-five to seventy-five percent of our uh, cotton producers now have made that transition into a um, a roller tie picker. So again, that's it's affecting how we sell tractors. Uh, and now, you know, those those tractors have to go somewhere because we're continuing to trade them in. That that kind of creates another uh, another challenge or another stumbling block for those machines. Yeah. So would uh, would your I don't say it. So would would your two hundred plus horsepower tractor be kind of a, a pinch point in your inventory right now? Used inventory. It is. Uh, if we look at it from a, a low hour perspective, uh, Casey, it's really not. But but we do have some concerns. Uh, to be totally honest, if you look at a two hundred plus horsepower tractor that's say six seven years old in thirty five hundred or more hours, um, that is a concern. We are we're watching that very closely, and uh, when we trade for those, we're being we're being very cautious on those. Yeah, are you seeing any kind of, of demand right now back into the Midwest where maybe someone is looking for that that cheaper used tractor that can maybe lease real cheap? Do you see anything like that coming back into the Midwest or or over into the high plains? No, not so far. Not not anything that's that high hour of a tractor. Uh, we we're having success, some successes with. You know, releasing two, three, four-year-old tractors with reasonable hours, but um, it seems to us that once we get past that 3,500, 4,000-hour range, uh, there's it's just a real weakness in the market for that. Yeah. Leasing has been a uh, kind of good segue to my next question here, but leasing has been one of those uh, tools that have been utilized through this downturn uh, more than probably in, in the past, um, in past downturns, just because of the exception or the exception the uh uh how people have accepted that back into the market <clears throat> as part of a tool when it comes to financing so how, how's leasing played a, a role in your in your current uh market and and how do you how do you see it continuing on into the future sure you know i i don't think we have been any um any exception to that rule as far as you know adopting that probably at a greater rate than, than we have in years past so we have uh, over the years have, have rented a lot of machines, uh, maybe a couple of months in the spring and then a couple of months at harvest. And it, it really probably carried more 8R inventory than what we 
what we should have and what was healthy for the business. So we, we looked at, at the leasing piece as an opportunity to really scale back our ADAR inventory, um, but still offer the customer that had been doing those four months rentals between the spring and the fall um, a good, uh, reasonable rate uh, to do a, a John Deere financial lease. That's exactly what we did. Um, and to your point, it's you know that it's been aggressive for us uh, to be able to do that uh, to help us with our inventory. But again, it, it leaves the customer a very good option. Uh, and, in, and in most cases, um, they they're not spending any more on an annual lease than what they were spending with us on a four month rental during the, the scope of a year. Right. Uh, I, I think we will continue to you know, to to seek after lease uh, options for customers. Um, I just think that it, it makes it makes good sense for us, helps us manage our inventory, um, and then gives the customer a you know a way to number one have a a low priced option uh, for horsepower and for hours, but then it also helps us kind of uh, as a, a trigger point for future trades too. Planters, planters, right now there's a lot of stuff going on uh, with planters. It's that time of the year where early order periods open up across the across about all manufacturing lines. It seems like. Um, we we're starting to see maybe a little a little bump in, in planter uh, demand, especially uh, with some of these guys that have had <clears throat> planters for three or four years and rebuilt them several times now, and they're just looking at maybe upgrading. What's your feel on the overall planter market, and and how's that how's that look for you guys down there? Sure, um, I don't disagree with your statement. Uh, we've got a good many planters uh, in our AOR that have some age to them. Uh, and to your point, have maybe been rebuilt once or twice, and, and just uh, it's probably time to, to make a transition to a new machine. Um, last year, we had a, a reasonable planter EOP. It looks like this year is going to be about the same, if not a little bit better. Um, but I, I really think it goes back to the age of the machine and, and just looking for some you know, some newer technologies and uh, some efficiencies in the field. And we, um, we're we're pretty well staged to have a, a very decent EOP on planners here uh, for the first first phase anyway. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree with that. So that's the same same things that we're seeing out here. I mean, it's just one of those deals where um, high speed planner technology. I think when it first came out, was no one really thought about it from a. a, a the agronomics perspective outside of just going fast and what you see now with how fast you can plan it and what, what your stand looks like and what your, you know, spacing and, and, and all the different stuff that come through it. It's really made a big difference in the way people think about planners. You know, it's just made a big jump in, in their, in their vision of what a planner can do. That's correct. Okay. Um, sprayers also another thing that's out there right now that folks are, are, are looking to, to get orders on um, our spray market's been kind of the same uh, for, the, for the past two or three years. You know, there's nothing, not a big, not a big difference with us being such a heavily demanded uh, market on, on the corn and, and not necessarily soybeans, but just corn and the way the market's been are, are uh, it's just been a, a pretty steady flow of, of, of sprayers there. But this year we kind of see a little bit of a spike in what we've seen with sprayers. Are you seeing something similar out there or, or how, how, uh, how is your sprayer market compared to what's going on in the rest of the world? Yeah, I would, I would agree with you on those comments too. Um, I guess to kind of preface the, the conversation on you, um, we were able to, to, to move our used sprayer inventory much faster. That, that seemed to rebound much quicker for us than what we had ever expected. Um, 
if you had asked me 18 months ago if I wanted to sell a new sprayer, I would not be very happy. Uh, but used have, have kind of washed through, uh, which leaves us in a much better position to be more aggressive on some new sales. Um, and that's really where we're at. And I think it goes back to, to a conversation much like our planners. Uh, it goes to technology. Um, we, we've sold a few exact ply machines uh, over the last year or so, but, but that, that conversation seems to be much easier now, and that seems to be driving uh, some sprayer sales. And we, we've seen a very good take rate on exact ply uh, this year compared to the last couple of years. And, and again, I think it just goes back to a, a machine with a few years of age and uh, quite a bit of technology updates with exact ply and a couple of other things. Um, that's 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 definitely driving demand. Yeah, that exact apply is, is like you said, it's one of those things. the The willingness to adopt that when it first comes out is always on any new technology. What no matter what it is, is always kind of slow. But once you see it in action, it, it does make it does kind of tell that story of efficiency that we all try to tell and, and, you know, really limiting the, uh, uh, you know, the input costs that you put in there and, and, and the savings that come along with that. I think we had a deal where a guy tested it and, and on one uh, circle and 120 acres, he had, he had two acres of overlap. So that's a, that's a very, uh, very tight, narrow window there. We start looking at the cost of inputs and, and what those, what that little option can save you. Yeah, you're exactly right. And I, I think, you know, as a dealership, we, we have to make sure that we're ready to to do demos and, and show the value added opportunities of exact applying it. It's definitely there. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of those things where you can, uh, it, it is an expensive option, but when you go back and like just the example I gave you, you take that and you extrapolate that across the uh, the entire spray season. How much money did you save, um, and how's that going to, uh, you know, how much? What's the option cost versus what it saves? It it, it it pencils out at the end. Yes, it really does. There's definitely some cost savings involved. Yep. All right. Okay. So as you take a look at what you see going through the spring here or the summer period that we see right now and we're headed into that that late harvest season that we see coming up this fall um what are some of the positive notes you see happening out there what are some of the negative notes that you're kind of worried about headed toward the ends of 19 okay um as far as positive notes um i think we will continue to have uh, some strong row crop tractor business um I don't, I don't say that that business is extremely strong, uh, but for us, it does seem to have um, kind of flatlined uh, on a pricing perspective, and we're not seeing declines uh, as, as sharply as we were in the last you know, two, three years on, on high-horsepower row crop tractors. And so from a stability standpoint, I'm very pleased about that. I think that will continue. Uh, I think demand's going to continue to pick up some. Um, as, far as, as, far, as far as looking at negatives, um, we're not a huge combine dealer by any stretch. Uh, we're, we're not out selling dozens of new combines every year, but we do have a few used ones still um, that, that are concerning to me. Uh, we, we just essentially don't have any activity on, on combines. Um, and, and that's that's certainly concerning. Uh, and you're know, just looking at the overall market on combines and um, the, the population of used machines that are out there on machine finder and other, other sources. Uh, that's, that's, that's concerning. I'm, Number one with the machines that we have in stock today, and you know how that will affect us selling new machines in the future. Yeah, I'm right there with you on the combine market, man. That's that's the one market that I have the most concern about, and it's not so much for us where we sell a lot of combines. You know, where we've got 
the one and two year old machines feel like there's a, even the three year old machines feels like there's a, a fair amount of demand for those just for the hour range that people are looking for. Um, it's the, when you get to machines that are about five years old and older, there are a lot of those machines out there just because there was a lot of them produced. Um, and there's a lot of, a lot of used, used deal market out there. My biggest concern that I have with the uh, overall market in general is, you know, we've had a five year period here where, where it's been pretty tight and things have been, have been pretty, uh, uh, you know, there's not been a lot of profit made. So no one really traded the amount of equipment that they would have normally traded in that, that, that time time frame and uh now guys are wanting to come in and trade stuff and what we're seeing is uh we're getting a lot of the same equipment with the same kind of hour range and in it and it's kind of all falling in that that 12 13 14 model range and whether it's tractors combines planters whatever um sprayers doesn't really matter um they're all kind of falling into that that same time frame. And that's my biggest concern headed into the end of the year that there could possibly be a, a bubble being created here. And as uh, inventories become stagnant and there's not a, a lot of buyers for those uh, those older higher hour machines, we could see some some auction movement that could really drag the price of those equipment down. Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you on that. I've, I've heard you make the comment in the past that it's you know the and, and rightly so with, with conditions that we had, it's almost like we missed a trade cycle, um, you know, in the last three or four years. And, and now it's those, those problems are rearing their head. Uh, and it's that, that trade cycle looks like is getting ready to, to come to us as dealers. Um, and yet the demand is so low for those you know, seven, eight year old tractors, combines that you mentioned. And, and again, we're, uh, we're looking at some pretty high hours on those machines and, and um, the demand is so soft for that. I simply don't know where those machines are going to go to in, in the volumes that, that we as you know, dealer organizations across the country are probably going to have to trade for. Yeah. I'm in the camp that whoever just figures out how to, uh, how to export those machines, those, those hour range machines uh, <clears throat> into areas that can, that can pay for them. That's always the hard part about export. Um, and any kind of volume is going to be a, uh, is going to have a, a pretty good uh, strategic um, position on, on on the overall market as a whole and what they're going to be able to do. So it's, but that export business is a, is a tough thing to figure out. And it's not, it's very fickle and it's hard to find solid partners to, to uh, work with. Yeah, you're exactly right. Finding, finding somebody that's, that's um, a good partner to work with and, and giving us a good outlet uh, that that seems to be difficult, and and then those pockets seem to dry up almost as fast as they're created. Uh, so that that's that's a difficult position too. Yeah, it's a it is a it's it's the master chess game, man. You figure that one out, you're going to be a winner. So it's a absolutely. Until then, we have to figure out how to do it here locally, and and I, I'm uh, I have my concerns about what that looks like going into the end of the year. Yeah, I don't think it's going to get uh, much easier. Uh, as we get to the end of the year, I certainly agree. Yeah, that's right. Well, Clay, we've had a good conversation here. I appreciate you being on the podcast. Um, if folks wanted to check out Blanchard Equipment and and what what was going on there, how would what's the best way to do that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the best way to uh, check us out uh, is on Twitter or Facebook, and then BlanchardEquipment.com is our website. And uh, again, thanks for having me on this morning. It's uh, it's been a pleasure. Yeah, I appreciate it, Clay, and uh, look forward to talking to you with you in, in Nashville coming up here in October.
Yep. Sounds great. I'll see you then. All right, Clay. Take care. Thanks, Casey. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Moving Iron Podcast, now part of the Global Ag Network. If you'd like to continue any of these conversations, you can hit me up on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Moving Iron LLC. You can also send me an email at Moving Iron Podcast at movingironpodcast.com. You can also visit the Moving Iron Podcast YouTube channel and watch Market Roundup with Chip Nellinger, Sean Hackett, and Angie Setzer. Also, Tax News with Glenn Birnbaum. Please visit movingironllc.com. Here you can find information, details, and updates for the 2019 Moving Iron Summit in Nashville, Tennessee. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can leave a review and subscribe at iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, SoundCloud, and globalagnetwork.com. So until next time, let's go move some iron. This is Casey Seymour. Out. Moving iron in the 21st century.